Welcome to Founders Field Notes, the podcast where you can learn from founders how to be founders. I'm Jason Klug, founder and CEO of Klugonics Group. This week, we have a new friend of mine and an exciting guest, Josh Little, a multi-founder, a product builder, and just overall a great person to chat with. I actually got to know Josh recently on a entrepreneur trip up in Idaho. This guy, Travis Chambers, got a group of people together to go to a cabin of his and just have a good time. Josh and I got to drive around in one of Travis's cars, which is one of those Porsche GT3 RSs. And we just got to chat for like two hours while ripping around in a Porsche. And it was just such a great time getting to know him and chatting about business and chatting about hardships and how they were overcome. I just valued that time so much. So it was really good to then reconnect with him here and dig even deeper into his story and his entrepreneurial journey with the businesses he started and his current business. And even after this recording, we stayed in touch and talked about another business that he's looking to acquire and grow in the hydroponic industry, growing plants and supplies and so on and so forth. Josh is just a very impressive person, but I like his approach on things and his positive attitude. Even when things are not maybe the best situation for a business, he still keeps such a positive energy towards what's he's, what he's doing. And it's, it's just impressive and just great to be around. One thing that I learned in this conversation that I thought was neat is how he has this educational background and a lot of it ties to what he's doing and, and is consistent. And you could tell that he's passionate about educating and all of these platforms that he's worked on all have something to do with education or could be utilized in a way to where education is more interesting or more easier to digest or so on and so forth. And I like how that core value has continued to stay true with what he's worked on. So looking back at all the different companies he's been involved with, like Maestro, Bloomfire, uh, Quizzer, which, I mean, I heard of Quizzer way before you know I met him. So it's impressive that he's built such a a brand that has had as many users as he's had. It's very difficult to do something like that. But he's also a brine master, which you'll hear more about with his pickles. And it'd be interesting to see if he becomes a, builds a massive pickle company one day. I wouldn't put it past him (laughs) to do so. So listen in, watch whatever you're digesting this with. Josh Little, great entrepreneur, multi-founder, and very wise person. Thanks for listening. You know, your first lemonade stand or whatever. What what was the first thing you did? I am kind of a reluctant entrepreneur. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur until I was in my 20s. But uh, when I was a kid, I had a lawn mowing business and not your average Mm -hmm. lawn mowing business, but one that like a professional would want today. I just started mowing old ladies' lawns like widows Mm -hmm. and... Then the widows talked to other widows, and uh, pretty soon I had like a whole, my mom would drive me around with mm-hmm. my brother, and we- A little push mower? Push, well, I had a push mower, then I had a tractor, okay. then we, we moved up to two weed whackers and a blower. Cool. So we had the whole setup, and, mm-hmm. and of course I couldn't drive at 11, I started at 11, and then up until 16, that's what I did, is just mow a bunch of lawns all summer, and- I feel like that's a common one. It is, yeah. You know, the I didn't do that as a kid because I hated mowing the lawn. Mm-hmm. But I remember my brother and his friend did it, 
and they had they I remember they were like had a stack of cash at one point. Yeah. But they did pretty well. But yeah. Yeah, that's a common way of people getting a taste of it. Early yeah. On. And I didn't it was just something that kids did. And I didn't realize that my mom was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um they're just where I grew up, there wasn't a term for that. Like she she did odd jobs. She would mm-hmm. wallpaper your house or paint your house or okay. move a sandstone wall if you wanted to. She'd bring her two boys yeah. and we'd do that. But so yeah. she was an entrepreneur. We just didn't call her that. She just did odd jobs, yeah. right? And so I I never grew up thinking, oh, this is a path for me. I could like build my own company or build my mm-hmm. own business here. That's why I have a degree I in education. That. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love that. That's like, uh, you see the hustle, you see them having to do the sales, yeah. you see them having to then execute, you know, mm-hmm. you don't even think about it. The, yep. That's didn't, great. Didn't think about it. So then you you went to school for education, right? Weren't you like a high school teacher or something? Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. For, for one short year. Well, one short year. What, where are you, where I grew I grew up in Michigan, in okay. Jackson, which is a town very few people know. Mm-hmm. The options for me in front of me were either I could work for the power company like my dad did. There's a big power company town. I could work at the prison like a lot of other people's dads did, um, or you could be a teacher or work in restaurants like I was doing. Cause mm-hmm. when, when I was 16, I started working in restaurants and made way less than mowing lawns, but at least I wasn't mowing lawns anymore. So I chose teacher out of those options, mm-hmm. um, and went to school to, uh, be a music teacher, music head, and then ended, ended up changing my major like three and a half years in to secondary ed. Because it was going to take two more years to get a music ed degree. Really? At the pace. We were working full time. I I got married pretty young at 20. Yeah. And so we we were both working full time. The max we could take is like 12 credit hours a Mm -hmm. semester and Mm -hmm. not in the summers. So I took my time in college and just never finished. Yeah. That's that's what the cool kids do. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a a degree in in music education, you find a job, and you just did one year then, huh? Yeah. Did you know high school going into it? Did you like, were you thinking high school education? Yeah. Yeah, it was a degree in secondary education, so that's like six through twelve. Oh, um, and, and my degree was actually not in music yet; it was in uh, geography and social studies. So, okay. I taught social studies, American history, and economics for mm-hmm. for a year. But I knew when I was doing student teaching, this wasn't going to be the thing. I just knew. But mm-hmm. well, if you go if you go that long and take out that many student loans to get a stinking degree, you ought mm-hmm. to at least use it for a year. Yeah. So test it out. Maybe you do I did. like it. And, and, and it wasn't for me. I, I didn't love it. Uh, I love the art of, of teaching. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I didn't love the economics of it. And, you know, I had a, a son and was building family, making $27,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, I'm never going to be able to support a family on this. My raises yeah. are all lined out for the next seven years, regardless of whether I suck or I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really no incentive to be amazing because you, you, it's, you're just in the system. You pay the union, you yeah, know, that's difficult. You keep your job. That's difficult right. to like, <laughs> yeah. I wonder why educators complain so much. Right. About, you, you have to love it. I mean, yeah. hats off to the teachers that, that are willing to do it. Oh, yeah. Like they're, they're made of different cloth than I am. Yeah. I've definitely had teachers that I look back to the ones that inspire you and you always remember are yep. the ones that most likely loved it. 
Yep. And then I look back to the ones that sucked and I always, I'm curious if they kept doing it or if they stuck <laughs> they around, you know what I mean? Like I did. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was plenty of teachers growing up that I remember that I look back to and it's like that, that I enjoyed that class. Yeah. You know, I don't know what grade I got in it, but I remember the, either the way they presented, the way they built their lesson plan, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, uh, that's how you, you know, so that's probably the creative part you liked is building the product of your lesson plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, creating you're a an product experience. man, yeah. right? Uh huh. That, that makes sense. People love. Yeah, mm-hmm. the flow of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's a good point. So then, what did you do? You just quit. Yeah, you gave quit. up. I worked at Office Depot. At just a, a store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was better than teaching for me at the yeah. time. Being a yeah. receiving manager at Office Depot. That makes sense. I mean, so it, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I like, I don't know, this is early, early to mid twenties. And I was, I was kind of lost after leaving, leaving mm-hmm. the teaching world. Like what, mm-hmm. what could someone with this skill set even do for the world? Yeah. Um, and then I, I had some friends that got jobs as sales reps and I was like, sales rep, mm-hmm. what's that? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know there was a job called sales rep. There, there were people that you could like, you know, travel around and sell someone a product and make good money. And they mm-hmm. would even give you a corporate car sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. And the growth is exponential pretty much. Right. Like yeah. If you oh, can crush you can make it, as you can much make, as you want. Yeah. 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 So I, I started selling and realized I was pretty good at that. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, it wasn't a field sales job at first. I, I worked um, at SBC, the phone company, and I sold DSL to, people that didn't even know what DSL was or in the very, very early days before only like anyone within two miles of, you know, Mm -hmm. a a central, uh, uh, what what do they call them? Node or whatever it was, um, could, could actually get it. So 2000. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the year, year 2000. 2000. In the year wow. 2000, <laughs> okay, yeah. I sold DSL. DSL. I'm trying to think of when I got DSL. It probably was like 2001 or two or was something it? like that. Yeah. That had yeah. to have been. But yeah. I did that for six months and, and I was good at it. And I realized it was good. There was an opportunity at Pfizer that opened up for a regional account rep. And oh, yeah. then we d- did that. And then within like six months was promoted to national account rep and um, then started doing sales training there. And of course that was, that was a natural fit. Cause it was like, mm-hmm. you know, the degree in education plus, you know, the sales and doing well in sales. That's a, yeah, that's a good, and then I repeated sense. that same cycle at Stryker. Uh, mm-hmm. I came in to sell, I doubled quota the first year. They brought me in house to be a sales trainer. Mm-hmm. Then I, you know, spent the last, next couple of years building out a global training program. Mm-hmm. And that's what eventually led me to my first business. So I interviewed, uh, Bennett from Dirty Dough. Oh yeah. Last week. And you know, he's an incredible salesman, yeah. a lot of background like that in sales. Right. And it was interesting. And I wonder if it's similar for you. He would get all these sales jobs and bounce around. But the the reason why it was super valuable for him is because he was getting all the different sales training techniques, you know, like Cutco. And then he learned this technique yeah. and then he moved to, you know, Vivint. And then he got this different line of sales training mm-hmm. and stuff. So it almost seems like when you got the AT&T gig, was there training that built a foundation for your sales process that was valuable that you kept with you and continue to build uh, on that or, there, but, or was it more natural um, you kind of figured it out as you went you know honestly the places i were uh, were hired in Pfizer and Stryker they didn't have training so really? i was the person that developed it that's um, sweet in fact at Stryker um mm. i may get sued for saying this someday i don't mm-hmm. know but mm. um really i i was 
selling computer assisted brain surgery platforms, you know, mm-hmm. to like surgical navigation. Mm-hmm. And like 9 a.m., the first day I was supposed to start, I, I like called in to the technical director that I knew at Stryker and I was like, hey, should I be like going somewhere or should I be <laughs> like get going to a training or some onboarding or something? He's like, oh, yeah, come into the office and I'll show you. And mm-hmm. so uh, that day I went in and he showed me how to like unplug mm-hmm. the computer and how to reboot it and how to, mm-hmm. you know, undock a laptop from the, okay. Uh, (laughs) and then they gave me a cell phone and a laptop and said Mm. go wow and i'm like go and they're like go follow some other reps around yeah yeah. what that's it there's no training for i don't even know the lobes of the brain like okay so i went and got Hmm. a stack of medical anatomy books and awesome and went off and started following people and you know, other reps in different cities. And so you're almost like learned. an entrepreneur there in a yeah, way. Yeah. It was, it was entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial salesman. Yeah. They call it yeah. sink or swim. Um, but I, I like that. <laughs> I call it throw to the wolves. Yeah. I mean, that was like the first day I showed up my job with Scott and I show up, no one's there, not even the boss. I sit down at the desk and I'm sitting there waiting. They didn't even have a computer for me. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what do I do? You know? Yeah. And then at like 10 o'clock, you know, they roll in and they finally were like, oh, I think we got an extra computer over here. And they set up the computer. I think my account's all set up. And then basically the phone would just ring and I would just have to pick it up and just start BSing. You know? <laughs> just making up whatever. But it's like, you know, sometimes you have to, when you build the, build it on the way down, right? Like the build the plane on the way down, yeah. you yeah. kind of figure out your own way of doing things. And you could probably, like, a lot of times you could excel at it better, I feel like. Versus if right someone person. teaches you like, yep. this is how you do it, blah, blah, blah. But that might not work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you kind of have to build it and figure it out and you stick to the end goal that's consistent and then you can figure out a better process for you specifically. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's, that's cool. Okay. But largely inefficient. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like a, a natural chain of events too. going, you know, once sales get, getting into the medical space, just cause the dollar is a good amount, right? Like you sell more yeah. and you make more and yep. yeah, that makes sense. Uncapped commissions. Pfizer selling uh, the dream. Were you selling Viagra then at the time? Is that no, it? No, no. Uh, they make a lot of stuff. But. They make a ton of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was I started in their RX business, then went to consumer healthcare, like mm. Dramamine, Doxidan, Surfhack. Yeah, okay. Um, you watch that movie, Love and Other Drugs? No. That's a good one. It's got uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and who else is it? Oh, really? Anne Hathaway. You know what I'm talking about? Is it about, about pharma? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. about a, a drug sales rep in, in you know... I remember, like, he's a hustler, and like the flow of this sales process for a drug rep is always interesting. Oh. Like going working the the person at the front desk oh, with really? flowers and yeah, stuff, yeah. and then you know eventually building the relationship to getting through to Get the doctors the and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it was a, uh, I thought it was a good movie, and then him dealing with um, his girlfriend or whatever who has health issues, and then you know something with that tied to how his his morale or like hers is uh morals with selling the drugs and stuff like mm. that something like that um but i thought it was a good movie you should check that out okay so then you noted and so very common a lot of the entrepreneurs that i've heard had at some point had a sales gig because i feel like to be an entrepreneur you have to be able to sell yeah. whether it's yourself you know like for me it was being able to sell myself to be a consultant or a developer or an mm-hmm. engineer or whatever. Or if you're building a product, you have to be able to sell your product. Yep. Or partner with someone that can sell your product. Yep. If you're the behind the scenes, like Jobs and uh, Wozniak, right? Mm-hmm. So 
that being said, 2003, 2007, you're selling striker stuff. It, did you go right into Maestro from that? Well, at Stryker, I, I was in sales and mm-hmm. then went into sales training and, and mm-hmm. I was trying to build a global training program for that division. And um, I tried to build, you know, at the time, e- this is 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. an e-learning program. Uh, but this is like, yeah, before any of the tools that are out there today existed, mm-hmm. this is, and in, you know, in order to do it, you had to hire like videographer, hire a 3D animator, hire a content person, hire mm-hmm. uh, and buy an LMS and like put it all together. And it was like a, a circus to try to build an e-learning program around the, the, the binders and the CDs that we, that we had currently. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, there should just be a company that does this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a, almost a full-time job to just keep this thing going and mm-hmm. check in and and project manage this. Um, and so I, I looked around to try to find a company that that I felt confident could create medical e-learning, um, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find it. And I thought... Like a, hmm. like a, like a software development company or something like that? Yeah, then? I mean, there were some companies that were building e-learning modules, but they weren't like for the medical space and the people mm-hmm. didn't know anatomy and, and those things that mm-hmm. you really need to know to build a great experience. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I was going to start one. Um, and that's what Maestro was. This is just the company that that I wish existed. And Maestro essentially is an interactive agency. You know, we could build websites, we could build apps, we could build software, we could build e-learning uh, courses as well. Mm-hmm. So it was an interactive agency fully focused on e-learning and helping people in the corporate world you know, learn how to perform beautifully and, and, mm-hmm. and, and onboard well and, and you know, be yeah. trained up. Solving the problem that I wish was solved for me along and, the way. But you didn't you didn't have a software development background. No. So but I know now you're you love building product, yeah. right? That's like a big part of what you're you, you currently love doing. Mm-hmm. So you get a taste of it building product with Maestro. Yeah. But how? Did you did you find a partner to co found this with? Did you you know what so did, I did, what did you do? Uh, eventually? Um so like I tried to start Maestro as a side hustle uh, while I was working at Stryker, but there's, there's really, if, if you're at Stryker, there's no other lover. Like you can't find any time to put in anything. So I could find like two hours a week and mm-hmm. it just wasn't enough to like get something off the ground other than, you know, think about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I decided I needed to like leave my corporate job. If I was, if I was going to try my hand at an entrepreneur and along the way, probably worth, you know, adding this context, I had discovered that I was an entrepreneur. And, mm-hmm. and, and for me, that was the the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Yep, which I know a lot of people have read and loved. Some people, you know, I've recommended to are like, yeah, I know all that stuff. I'm like, you grew up in a different place than I did because this mm-hmm. book is like a revelation to me. Mm-hmm. Like you can own your own business if you want to. Mm-hmm. You can like be wealthy if you choose to. And there's a path to that. How would you even do that? So those ideas just took root in me. So, and it took like five years for me to get up the confidence to mm. actually step out and to build my first company. Yeah. Uh, and then during those five years at the Pfizer and Stryker days, I was the guy that if we went to lunch, there's no way we're talking about anything other than the businesses we could build together and the mm-hmm. ideas that I have. Yeah, and I'm going to throw it on things on the table. And when mm-hmm. I was on a plane, I would you know, fill up notebooks of just different ideas and a logo and a design for this. And what mm-hmm. if, what if a light switch could do that? And what if a this or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them felt 
doable or tangible until the idea for Maestro. Like yeah. e-learning for medical device companies. I could do that. I yeah. could probably figure out how to do that. And medical has got that cheese. And they got so the money. Throw down at, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's a good, they got yeah. the money to throw on it and not yeah. the time, which is the problem I had. I quit my job at Stryker um, the same week that I moved into my dream house on the lake with a mm-hmm. nightmare mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you've been saving in the medical space, making yeah. good enough money where you yeah. got a nest egg at least built yeah. up. Like I said, I was trying to start Maestro on the side. All, the whole time I was trying to do that, I was like, man, if I just had a week, if I could just take a week and work on Maestro, mm-hmm. dude, I could, I could crush. Yeah. And so I did it. And my yeah. wife is, um, she believes me enough to like say, yeah, yeah, you can do that. That's not a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. So I've, I quit. Uh, and then that first week I just downloaded some free software, built some spine anatomy training modules, That's cool. flew down to Abbott spine in Texas and visit with a couple other manufacturers, did my first 90 K deal for nine modules for wow, Abbott spine. Yeah. And then had to come home and figure out how the heck to build the rest of it. You know, that's and, what I, that's why the agency model worked for me too. Right. Cause yeah. you, you could basically, if you can get the first few deals going where you, you have pain projects, then you're good. Yeah. You know, versus like obviously building consumer products. That's why I didn't start by making a brand first. I started with the agency knowing that like, I can't pay for tooling. I can't pay to do this and you know, blah, blah, blah. Versus like, I figured out how to put a website up by myself, you know, with like a help from a few friends, you know, I'm like getting the, the coding and stuff figured out at least a little bit like on WordPress and whatnot. And then all I needed to do is just get deals. Yeah. You know, so that's, that makes total sense. Yeah. I, I, any, anytime I speak at a college, that's one of the big, big points I'll make is like, if you have an idea for a product or a company, that's great. Don't build it. Build a service company around that idea in that space, solve that problem, get paid, get mm-hmm. revenue, learn, make a lot of mistakes. Then mm-hmm. in a couple of years, build the, build the product. Yeah, because then the other thing I think is valuable with that is you get to see all of the clients executing everything and you uh-huh. learn from yeah. your clients and they're the ones that are like in the trenches, the, in the other parts of the business. Yeah, And I always thought that was valuable because when I started Durai even, I had already built like a hundred something projects and worked with tons of brands and stuff mm-hmm. and seen successes and failures and stuff like that. So I, yeah, incredibly valuable to yeah. start that way. You, you learn and mm-hmm. other people pay you thousands of dollars or mm-hmm. millions of dollars to do that right Al- mm-hmm. along the way. And it's, it's worthwhile. So now with, with this, you get your first 90 K deal. What do you do? Do you find, do you start building a team with that? You start bringing in contractors? I really do do? didn't need to, but I did because, you know, I wanted to make something scalable. I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I need to go get the next deal. So I need somebody who can build these. So mm-hmm. I made all kinds of mistakes, like trying to hire somebody that could write content and find out, you know, try to turn a teacher into some e-learning developer and whatnot. And I realized, you know, at the end of the day, designers are amazing at what they do. Developers are amazing at what they do. Just mm-hmm. hire the professionals. That's yeah. where we ended up is just having, you know, a team of designers and engineers that could build all the things that we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, add like, so, you know, instructional designer and a couple product project managers. And mm-hmm. that's a company. And we can throw as many projects and scale up each of those teams as, mm-hmm. as we need. And you could kind of grow and contract as needed yeah. too. I was, so I did. I added a yeah. co-founder uh, because I, I realized that while I could sell 
I was actually better at the content and the product, like producing mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. And that was a really hard thing to to hand off. And mm-hmm. so I had a couple of co-founders um, that I brought in like after the founding date since, you know, today, Jen, uh, my co-founder, she owns the company, right? Cool. And she was, she was sales. And so I was like, mm-hmm. well, if I can't, because I kept running back between like making making the donuts and selling the donuts, mm-hmm. um, right? And mm-hmm. And I could pick one or the other and it was easier to bring someone in to just go sell and do mm-hmm. more deals than it was take this mess of a <laughs> e-learning development shop and figure out how to produce all these things mm-hmm. for dozens of companies. But it grew it grew pretty big, right? Like how how big did you get it? It was like 5 million when I started my second company. Okay. So so 2017 it was acquired by Jen then. By Jen, yeah. Okay. So like an internal sale. Mm-hmm. And did you do that because you were starting Bloomfire then? Is that what was going on or um, what was that? No. So the deal was, and this is kind of what you were saying is mm-hmm. like you learn on, uh, you know, on behalf of your clients, you're learning all these things. So with Maestro, what we learned was we were only solving 10% of the problem, the, mm-hmm. the problem of what you need to know to do your job. How mm-hmm. does someone learn these things? Well, only 10% do you actually learn from quotes training. Even an amazing training program mm-hmm. is only going to give you a small percentage of like what you really need to know to be successful in your job. How do you learn the rest? Well, it's that email that this guy sent or the video that she created or that mm-hmm. presentation that so-and-so gave. And where is that? How do you even access this? How do you give it to someone new? There's no way to do that. So largely the collective brain of your organization is, is untapped. And so I got the idea to tap that brain um, with a product called Bloomfire. And I called it a social learning platform. And essentially, Bloomfire was just an easy way to share knowledge with your coworkers. Uh, You could record a video with your webcam. You could record your screen, show what you're doing. uh, And then there was kind of a Q&A engine inside. uh, And it was all searchable. So it was like Facebook plus YouTube had a baby closed social for your company that's what Bloomfire was. Uh, we started building that in 2009. That was like yeah. year after Twitter launched. Um, and so so you, you're working on okay. So you you're you had Bloomfire going during Maestro for quite a bit of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So and so our deal was or... with with Jen and I because Maestro was the economic engine. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, you run Maestro. Mm-hmm. I'll go build Bloomfire. And we'll copy and paste cap tables. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll get a percentage of Bloomfire and I'll get a percentage, you know, and basically our our ownership structure of Maestro mm-hmm. and Bloomfire. So if you can keep the the funding going for yeah. Bloomfire. And resource management, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Then you'll get, you know, a percentage of the company that mm-hmm. I went over here and built. Yep. And so that's what we did. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that done that with, that's how I did drive. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, development resources, all that stuff is the only things that I needed, you know, is to fill the gaps that Klugonics and these companies didn't Mm -hmm. have, which is like the branding and stuff like that. But my wife did all that stuff. So, but yeah, that makes total sense. You can, there's a lot of inefficiencies when companies can kind of share Mm -hmm. things like that. And I watched Scott do that. I think that's what inspired me is Scott did that at Armor Active with Vodo, you know, that oh, yeah. app he built, yep. he did it with, uh, you know, and then Instafluence and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, 
I guess that's good for the serial entrepreneur in us, right? right. You yeah, know, yeah. versus like the solo focused entrepreneur. Um, now that wasn't my intention. That wasn't a deliberate strategy. That's just what kind of fell out yeah. of the opportunity. Yeah. But like, that's why I think it's good to start with a service company. Right. It just opens up all kinds of opportunities. Yeah, and stabilizes cash flow. You yep. get your salary and stuff like that figured out. So you're not like struggling to pay bills and whatnot. Like yeah. it's a smart model. Yep. Yeah. And you could also, you know, like I was saying, you, when you're working with a bunch of clients and, you know, stuff like that, you get so much like user data and input and stuff like that, that you get to apply to what you're building. And that also makes the product better, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's great. And that it looks like you had a little double acquisition, right? 2011, that's two years after you started it. Yep. So yep. what was that? Was that like a PE deal or what? No. Um, one of our customers actually, uh, Life Size Communications, the the CEO of Life Size, Craig Malloy, mm -hmm. they were using Bloomfire and they were like, this is the future of enterprise. That's Let, cool. Let's let's acquire Bloomfire and mm -hmm. and take it to the future. Wow. And so you know, Bloomfire still exists today. It's one of the premier knowledge management platforms. That's what Gartner and Forrester call the category wow. now. But that's um, incredible. I once upon a time called it social learning. So <laughs> that's um, cool. That's I, a I'm, good legacy to leave yeah, behind there. Yeah, yeah, really proud of that product and, mm -hmm. and Maestro. That's two companies right yeah. off the bat that yeah. are. It's around how many years later? Like almost 20 some years later. That's crazy. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was five years to, you know, uh, from mm -hmm. quitting my corporate job to multimillionaire. Uh, yeah. It's taken me 10. I still haven't had my exit yet. But no, you <laughs> will. You will. And it'll be much bigger than my first exit. So, <laughs> but that's okay. So, that's a good taste of entrepreneurship. So, you get this yeah. little exit. And well, you had two, right? But, but really the 2011 one. Did that give you the opportunity to start your next your next company? Because yeah. Quizzer is the big one that I even I heard of you, heard you know of early yeah. on, right? So mm -hmm. like, so is it, is this you figured out how to build a you know with, with Bloomfire? You get the exit, you get some excess capital. Did you start then investing in building Quizzer or what? Not immediately. I took a year off. I actually thought I was going to be an angel investor, mm -hmm. and I looked at like 40 deals mm -hmm. and did zero. Yeah. Um, and good, I was like, idea. well, I guess I'm not an investor if yeah, I can't yeah. like believe in someone else. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I got bored. You know, if you've ever gone through this, if you try to do an early retirement or something, you, you'll create this big list of all these things you want to do. Mm -hmm. And then you start working that list, and like three months later, all that's left on the list is to like adjust your sprinklers again. And there's just n not a lot of fulfillment in, in that. And so, yeah, I, I decided to build another company. And this time we actually, because I'd built a service company, because I've built a product company, I was like, what if I built a company that built companies? What if I created a venture studio? And this was um, kind of a hot idea at the time. Uh, Science Inc. with Dollar Shave Club in, in right. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, who's the one out east? Ch Chartley and uh, Bitly. Bitly and Chartbeat, they created. And so I was like, let's do that in Utah. Let's create a venture studio in Utah. So we, we launched Movement Ventures. Mm. And I... I hired a team that was kind of going to be the the team to just build the products and then we'll hire the right GM or CEO to like take these products and spin them out. We started building things and killing things and we mm -hmm. we killed like six ideas on the way to Quizzer. Mm -hmm. And Quizzer was uh, a quiz tool. It was like the world's, like the original doc was like 
let's build the world's simplest quiz tool. Mm -hmm. Five features. Um, teachers will love it. Trainers will love it. They'll eat it up. It's so simple. Make a quiz, embed it on your website. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can you can track results. And um, and I knew this space. I knew like the e-learning space. I was like, ah, oh, this is easy. Mm -hmm. And so I, when we launched it, it was kind of like blank stares. People were not quite sure why they would use this versus their LMS or mm -hmm. how, what level of Kirkpatrick's valuation system does this fulfill? Or, you know, like mm -hmm. um, they were a little too heady about it. And I was like, no, it's just a really simple quiz tool. But publishers uh, and marketers got a hold of it. Uh, KSL actually here locally was one of the first publishers Mm. to like make a quiz with Quizzer and KSL called me. They launched a quiz. I don't remember their first quiz, um, but they, they called me the next day and they're like, dude, do you know what you have? Like mm. that was the biggest article of the year on KSL. And it was like some national parks quiz or something. Like what national park are you going to visit this yeah. summer or something? Just because the, inter like how the interactive traffic. it was. Because yeah. it was interactive and it got shared. And right around the time we, we built Quizzer and this is a, a huge, huge component of entrepreneurship. You're better to be lucky than good. Mm -hmm. We just happened to be lucky that the Facebook algorithm was pushing BuzzFeed-like content. Oh, yeah. BuzzFeed was making all these cool quizzes. All the other publishers in the world saw that, and they were like, well, we could hire an engineering team to build some interactive tools, or we could just use Quizzer. Yeah. And that's where it started taking off. Mm -hmm. Publishers watch other publishers, and it just started to grow. And within a year of like the first publisher, we had hundreds of millions of monthly actives That's crazy. On, on the platform. Well, and I feel like it's a good clickbait, oh, right? Yeah. Like see where you're at in this or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, it's yeah. an unanswerable question. Yeah. Who am I? Everyone wants to know. You yeah. can never know enough about who you are mm -hmm. and quizzes start to scratch that itch for you. Ton of data, mm -hmm. random data, right? Like, what do you do so with all data. that? Yeah, and the thing about it, too is is um, unlike survey data, which um, is very biased because people lie on surveys. They don't have a vested interest in mm. telling the truth, really. But on quizzes, there's a vested interest in the outcome. If I lie to this quiz, I might as well just stop taking it because mm -hmm. I want to know which Harry Potter character I am. And if I don't tell you what my favorite soda is, mm -hmm. there's no way I'm going to know which whether I'm Hermione or Ron, That's you know, yeah. or whatever it is. So people tend to tell the truth with quizzes. Yeah. Um, and there's a 70% take rate versus like a 1% take rate with mm -hmm. a survey. So yeah, we, we really found something cool. And was this, you know, so well, any of these companies like Maestro, you, you didn't really have to raise money, right? Because it's a service, right? Uh, yep. Bloomfire, you basically built you know, on Maestro. Yep. But I'm guessing when you did the 2011 deal, you got some money in the bank for it to help grow it and whatnot. And then you sell it again. How did you do Quizzer? That was self-funded then from the, the Bloomfire or yep. what? Yep. I put in half a million, like the first half yeah. a million just to get the venture studio going. So and all these are pretty bootstrapped. Yeah. 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 Then we raised, with Quizzer, we raised a, a seed from uh, some local investors and then we went to raise our Series A in mm -hmm. 2015. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we raised getting that many that. users, you know, it's like... Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen anything grow like that. That's I mean, crazy. it was just crazy growth, mm -hmm. you know, up into the... Every chart was just like 
parabolic curve up into the right. It yeah. was it was awesome. That Good was stick. so you know Kirk. I interviewed him. Um, have you met Kirk? Kirk Weeman. Yeah, yeah. So it was cool to hear him talk because he he went in with like scan and stuff, and that company was like all funded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff that he learned from from classes at BYU is entrepreneurial classes and stuff like that about like when you get those curves and stuff like that is time to fundraise, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what, right? Um, hockey stick. Yeah. So yeah. that's, uh, you know, I haven't fundraised yet. I guess I did that tiny little round from family and friends. I haven't gotten there yet, but oh, the more dude. and more I have these conversations and I hear about the trajectory it does to the companies and stuff like that. But also I can hear it could be like nightmare too at the same time. So it's like, yeah, you know, but quizzer makes sense, right? It does. You know, yeah. and then for, and then for him, it was, it was like even his, uh, well, scans one thing so many downloads Mm -hmm. but then you hear he was telling me about the the stuff that he built on the side in like college and stuff for like uh video game and server checking and stuff like that or port scanning and whatnot and then getting you know million monthly users all of a sudden and he's running ads and stuff and he doesn't need to raise money Mm because it's just him and a website and it makes money for him you know yep it's just such a Kirk's a genius. Yeah, he, that was a great story. Good mm-hmm. episode. Check it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Quizzer's, Quizzer's crushing it. And then in 2022, you exited. That's last year. Oh, uh, it was, uh, yeah, last year. Yeah. Right. So yeah. You, had t- you had two good events last year. Yeah, second acquisition of Bloomfire. Yeah, and you probably had a little bit left over from that. You held out in the shares. A little, shares. Yeah, yeah. But then they did a 450 to one reverse stock split. So oh, okay. it was... Yeah. A very small little, almost a joke. Oh. (laughs) This is the lesson, kids. Yeah. Uh, Once you leave your company, it's not yours. Yeah. And suddenly you look like a villain and Mm -hmm. they look like heroes. And yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yep. That's always tough. I've been on the other side of that right now, but, you know, decisions have to be made. Business is business, you know. Mm -hmm. So then these happened while Volley was already in motion. Yeah. 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 N- neither were like a big exit. So I don't want to, because we've had at least listening. a few cool cars and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. GTRs we've had and a lot stuff. Of good cars you know, and that's good. Motorhomes <laughs> and some awesome yeah. trips. Yeah. yeah. So then, so what inspired then your now company Volley from all of this, you know? Yeah. So um, after Quizzer, I took uh, what I thought was the summer off, which ended up being a year, which ended up being two years off. That's good. And then I, you know, felt the call to like get back and build something again and Mm -hmm. felt the energy to do that. And I started working on um, different ideas that I had. I have have this big spreadsheet, um, a big rubric to try to like grade which ideas are best and why. So Mm -hmm. I just like keeping keeping different ideas and problems people had to solve. So I worked on actually 12 ideas over two years before I got to Volley. I worked on a pickle company, an mm-hmm. RV park roll-up, a debt fund. Brian Master. Yes. Yeah, there's, that's on the list, too. That's here. on the list, too, yeah. <laughs> I, I make pickles, so yeah. I thought, oh, this is time to build a pickle company. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them were right, and you know, I passed on all of them based upon what I was looking for at the time. And um, then the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. and um, I just knew... It's going to change how we communicate. It's going to change uh, a lot about the world. Um, and 
this is an opportunity. You, you don't get opportunities like this as an entrepreneur. Like what, what is going to change permanently about the world? Communication. Mm -hmm. What does the world need? A flexible way to communicate face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Marco Polo, that's cute. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Snap, yeah, that's awesome. But that's only for young people, you know, in this certain category. What about... Marco Polo for work. What about, you know, like th those mm. th you know, work, school, church, community, all, all of these other things, mm -hmm. places that you could use like a video messaging product. So that's, that's where the, uh, inspired by some conversations I was having with Scott and, mm -hmm. and others on Marco Polo. And I was like, these conversations are better than oh, yeah. any other any synchronous call I have any synchronous time I have with Scott because mm -hmm. we're talking every day multiple times a day about the most important things in our life and it's all on our own time it's mm -hmm. async you know so we don't have to schedule anything we don't have to get together we can just like share a thought when we have it or ask a question when we have it mm -hmm. and so I was like this would be killer for teams this would just be amazing for teams the pandemic hit everyone's starting to work remote let's build volley and mm -hmm. so that's the idea of volley is like what if slack and Marco Polo had a baby. Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm -hmm. And and that's where we started building, you know, within a month after the pandemic. Yeah, I feel like it's more digestible. It's more, um, especially like for people like myself that are easily distracted. Yep. You know, getting an email with a long idea versus like a, you know, a back and forth continued conversation where there's, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a great way to keep like a conversation going and mm -hmm. stay in touch. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Versus like even text messages and stuff. It's just, you know, you can't read the other side, the emotion. You can't, you know, you misinterpret a lot with, with like a text Absolutely. message. Emojis don't do enough. So that's what I thought was always super valuable about it. And I remember when it started coming up, you know, and Scott, Scott basically forces everybody on it. I won't talk to you unless you send me a volley. Yeah, good. Scott, great talk to Scott or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I could see why, because it works for works for that fast paced mindset too. Yep, you can hit two x speed and blast through stuff. You yep. know, yeah. So then, what? Um, going into that, you know, what was that like? What was the plan there? Was it self funded? You also raised some money, right? We did. Yeah, I raised earlier with Folly, just knowing what we were building. Yeah, and the timing. There's, this is not a like a let's just bootstrap this thing mm -hmm. sort of plan, Let the timing. Mm -hmm. We need to go, we need to go fast and we need to go big because, you know, this is going to be a team collaboration tool. People are going to be living on this thing all day. We need mm -hmm. to build it natively on each platform. Mm -hmm. We need engineers to do that. And so mm -hmm. um, there was no other way than, I, I still put in the first capital, but um, we raised within like six months our, our seed round. Mm -hmm. um, and we ended up raising like 6.3 so far. Mm -hmm. seed round um to just go after it and yeah i mean the quality of the product is there right thank like you the, it's like i always thought that was it's like very sophisticated it's not buggy yeah. the user experience and the flow of it was always so nice so yeah it's hard to do that without proper funding it is <laughs> yep you know yep. like even the one you guys recently launched where which i use to like sell time on doing quick consultations <laughs> yeah. and whatnot like the way that spun up was really quick. Just going through that experience and having like my desktop version and then having it on my phone as well is nice so I can like do it on the go. But I feel like if someone's paying for my time, I like using it on my computer because I have like, 
you know, when I got the app open, I could do research. I can gather my thoughts and write things down of what I'm going to respond with and then go back and actually give a well-formulated response, which I think that's just, you know, it's a unique way to do that and add value to people that need it. Yeah, especially for someone like me who's a slow thinker. Mm-hmm. Like even podcasts make me nervous a little bit because yeah, I'll inevitably get the out of the blue. What are top three things you learned from... Uh, <sighs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. Give me 30 minutes and let me a notepad and maybe I could come yeah. with a thoughtful answer. Yeah. So uh, async is just great for someone like me that just needs a, a second to think mm-hmm. before I respond. I just, you know, to even do just 10 seconds or a minute of research is mm-hmm. just like, oh, here's a much better response. So you need a day. Yeah. <laughs> well, we like to <laughs> think know? we're creating a better conversation, a fundamentally better conversation mm-hmm. because of that. There's still awesome reasons to meet synchronously, like a podcast or something like Mm -hmm. this, or building relationships. Mm -hmm. But for everything else, there's volley. Yeah. And and that's that's what we're building for. Yeah. What have you learned throughout the evolution of volley? Because I feel like it's it's tweaked and changed a lot and you've made a lot of pivots with it. So like talk talk me through the 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 story of how volley has came to be what it is today. You know, because the first version is very simple, makes sense but some of these features that you've tacked on and you're kind of finding ways to monetize it right in different ways. Like how, how, how has that chain of events kind of happened? We were wrong about our go to market hypothesis, which mm-hmm. is remote teams want to communicate using async video. They, they do. Um, mm-hmm. but very rarely they don't want this to be, um, a, an everyday sort of thing. And it's not everyone on the team. Hmm. So um, this idea from of Marco Polo for work or or whatever, right? Um, on paper, it seems to be right. Like remote teams, what are the top three problems? Lack of communication, loneliness, meeting fatigue. Mm-hmm. Volley aces that test. Mm-hmm. Solves all of those problems for you. Mm-hmm. But the unique stack of conditions that you need to have in order f- to adopt Volley, mm-hmm. everyone on the team has to be on it. Everyone has to be comfortable recording video uh, Mm -hmm. to take turns in a conversation. Otherwise, why are you on it? Just go use Slack. Mm -hmm. Everyone um, has to be willing to use it as their daily driver. So if you have Slack and then Volley as a sidecar, it's just like a hobby car. It's another app. GT3 that's going to sit in your garage Mm -hmm. and you kind of wonder why you have it and it's kind of expensive and Mm -hmm. whatever. The reproducibility was just so low for teams. And... When you look at like Marco Polo, for example, where is that used? Well, largely families. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I know I know a lot of moms who use Marco Polo and stay, stay in touch with their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about those environments, those are high trust, low risk environments. Mm-hmm. Now think about a work environment. Yeah. That's the opposite. It's high risk, low trust, typically, yeah. in most teams, unfortunately. And so we just saw over and over, thousands of teams adopted Volley, mm-hmm. but hundreds stuck. And we were like, those numbers are not good. And over the first year as we were developing the platform, it was always like, well, they can't use it if they don't have a Slack integration. Okay, let's build the Slack integration. Oh, they can't use it if they don't have channels. Okay, let's build channels. Okay, let's. So we, we threw features at it for about a year, but then we saw that our top users were not teams. They were coaches and yeah. creators and consultants mm-hmm. and they were using volley for their coaching and they're using volley for their mastermind or the group program and, um you know their fitness challenge or whatever and they were the, our top spaces and our top users and we mm-hmm. were like what the crap is a mastermind mm-hmm. 
<laughs> how are you using Volley to do this? And yeah. let's let's see if we can figure out you know how to support you. And so we started focusing on those users over last year, at the beginning of last year. Um, and that's really what led us by the end of the year to realize that there's an opportunity to allow people to monetize experiences mm -hmm. that they're creating on Volley. They're creating yeah. learning experiences, educational experiences, coaching experiences, mentoring, therapy that, that's happening on Volley. Um, and wouldn't it be amazing if like sales, billing, fulfillment was all integrated in one easy circle, all mm -hmm. on one platform. And so that's what we launched in the fall. That's why that feature does feel a little bit off if you're like, Volley's a team communication app. Oh, but you can charge people. Well, mm -hmm. what? Yeah, well, we've got to monetize it somehow, But right? that's the evolution. <laughs> and we had to monetize. Like, we were running the messaging app playbook, the same one Telegram and Discord mm -hmm. ran. You raise your Series A on engagement and retention metrics, not monetization. Mm -hmm. That was our plan until we got punched in the face by the tech bubble bursting and mm -hmm. just the whole economy changing starting yeah. last summer. And so we really knew like, there's no way we're going to see our next round unless we monetize. So mm -hmm. we, we had to monetize. It was a little bit hasty, but mm -hmm. we had to monetize uh, in order to get to the position we are to, to be able to yeah. even raise the next round. Yeah. So then let's see, towards the end of 2020, I was introduced to Bali while I was doing an online mastermind with, with Dale. Oh, really? Yeah. And Scott and, okay. you know, who else is in that? I can't remember who else. A uh, good group. But yeah, that, that Scott got everybody on a Bali group. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, but I don't think Dale used it as a class. I think Dale joined it because Scott wanted everybody in the mastermind to do it. But oh, then yeah. I think over time, then Dale figured out how to use it because he saw that people were very interactive outside of the actual mastermind meetups yeah. and it was a regular interaction that people were throwing things in at sparking new conversations and yeah. stuff like that so i feel like that was a that was probably must have been like early on in the development of mastermind use it was yeah dale was one of the early ones that mm -hmm. were building a, a pretty uh engaged big group on volley mm -hmm. hundreds of people mm -hmm. and we started to see how uh, a conversation with hundreds of people could feel equitable and not too crazy like if a, if hundreds of people jump on a zoom call yeah, good luck who's yeah. who's speaking first what what questions you know like it's it's really one to many but volley is truly in a group of hundreds it can be many to many because everyone has an equal opportunity to hit the record button mm -hmm. and then you can thread in in under individual volley so you can have like these side conversations mm -hmm. within this main conversation mm -hmm. and so that was the start of our realization like oh maybe this thing's for community maybe this thing's more for creators or groups or i don't mm -hmm. know but we need to explore mm -hmm. so so you're this is uh 21 then that you're really starting to move in the mastermind side? Uh, 22. 22. Yeah, last year. Yeah. Then, then what was next? Like, what was the, uh, what was the pivot from there? When, cause that. We're still there, baby. It was, but I feel like the consulting one was not really like, it was like a different play too, right? Well, it was just seeing those people, seeing creators, coaches, mm -hmm. and consults, they're, they're building experiences on Volley. Like mm -hmm. they would have their course their content on Thinkific or Kajabi or whatever, mm -hmm. but the discussion was on Volley. Right. And they kept saying, we want more of this. Like the discussion is really what makes the course. Like that's just content. Mm. This 
conversation is really powerful. So we saw more and more people creating those experiences, folks like Delph and et cetera, that were creating experiences that people would be willing to pay for. And then mm-hmm. they were hacking, you know, uh, a website with a Stripe integration and, you know, uh, an email client to try to create like the sales and billing flow. And then they would give a link to Volley and we're like, we could just build that. We could just make that super easy for you. You could like mm-hmm. come in, create your offers. We'll give you, you know, here's your landing page, mm-hmm. share your link with the world. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's when, that's when I set that up and that was, yep. I, I get, I've had a few here and there. That's and when I'm we like, got I'm, Klug. Yeah. Commit. But the, yeah. the cool thing too, I thought it's almost like a cameo play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. like you can get like a, a big name time with a big name. Yep. Versus like scheduling a 30 minute meeting with a big name is way more difficult than like doing a 10 minute volley chat. Yeah. Where like you said, they can respond on their own time. You're not, they're not committing to a 30 minute meeting, which is way harder to do versus oh, yeah. like 10 minutes over a two week period, you yep. know? So, you know, I feel like it's uh, much more useful for, for people that do consultations and stuff like that than you might think. Cause mm-hmm. th- what I've realized is a lot of times those conversations end up either they become a client because yeah. you know, the, the takeaways are is, well, we could do all that for you. Why don't you just, uh, why don't I connect you with my sales team and you start talking about the next steps and how we can make that happen more successfully, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of your potential customers just need a good reason to get to know, love and trust you. Mm-hmm. And this is a way that people can pay you to become a lead, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and all they need really is like five minutes. They just need to know, do you understand their problem? Can you solve their problem? Mm-hmm. And, and there's no way to really know that on a website until mm-hmm. you have that first conversation. And yeah. this is just a great way to have a low risk first conversation. Yeah. So uh, what do you think is the next for volley? You know, what do you, where, where do you see it going yeah. over the next bit? Yeah. I, I mean, I really see, we, we set out to build the future of messaging and mm-hmm. that was our intention, but what we unlocked is personalized education at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something the world needs is, is a way to personalize learning. Um, there's all kinds of course platforms out there. I've built some of them right. that mm-hmm. give you the content, but it's really the conversation that enables someone to learn and mm-hmm. grow. And so I'm really proud of that. So you, you, we'll prob- probably be building in a lot of the content pieces that you see in learning mm-hmm. platforms and, mm-hmm. you know, take volley to what it can be. You create any any experience, um, uh, any sort of learning, coaching, mentoring experience mm-hmm. on volley, charge for it. It's Super kind of easy. It's neat how your career has always came back to the fact that you enjoy educating. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I can't get away from it. It's, I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty good thing to be passionate about, you it know, is. that and building. I mean, yeah. that's, those are, I, those two things are, you know, good addictive qualities to have, right. Yeah. Or things that you're addicted to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's good. Yep. Well, that being said, what are some of these, these things that you look back at as those main takeaways that, you continuously have told many entrepreneurs to to stay weary of or, you know, do or not do. What are the, some of those points that you would say is like your field note yeah. that you leave behind? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say some of those are, you know, are just 
in terms of leadership, it's just like do what you say or say something else. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing how hard it is for people to do that, especially today. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really what that does is garner trust. It's, I mean, it's integrity basically, but I try so hard to do what I say. If I told you I'm going to be here at one for the podcast, I'm going to be here at one for the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, whether I have to move a mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about punctuality. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, all, and I've gone so far to say that words are promises. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you spoke it, it's a promise. It's it's true. And, and, and I will make it true. So... So I think that one has paid dividends for me, which is, you know, I don't know. It's not like a, ooh, I'm going to start a business on that idea. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it's something to keep in mind as you're starting the business yeah. and you're working with people and mm-hmm. finding co-founders and partners and stuff yeah. like that. It's like very important in, in your team and your employees and everybody that works with you. It's like, yeah, that's that sticks out. Yeah. Uh, another one um, is I play with all cards on the table. It's a most people don't most mm-hmm. people have their their hand tight to their chest and mm-hmm. don't share information openly i've found uh, at least for me i've been able to use that as a superpower just mm-hmm. my information is your information mm-hmm. and um i actually find people uh are more devoted and more loyal when they know that you're above board with everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, you know, with, with my last few companies, I've done weekly updates uh, on everything. Like mm-hmm. here's all the data, here's our financials, here's where we're at, here's where we're going, here's what our runways look like, here's what I like, here's mm-hmm. what I don't like. And so when you play in that way, again, you you gain the trust of the people that are around you and and they... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll they'll stick with you even in the hard times because mm-hmm. they know that you know there's there's probably a good time around the corner. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like it helps if they know where things are at, and the, it'll change their workflow and how they attack problems because they do know how things are. Yeah, deep, you know, like the reality of a situation. Yeah. Whereas if they think oh everything's cushy and good, they're probably gonna react and and go about something differently. Right. You know, yeah. So if you want a problem yeah. solved, bring an engineer into that problem. Mm-hmm. It'll get solved because yeah, they yeah. won't be able to stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I've, I've brought engineers into a lot of sticky business problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly things start working or things, yeah. things get figured out, or we found a different way to build what we were thinking we could build, or we could actually do the thing that we said we couldn't last week because mm-hmm. now, now we can see the problem fully. That's great. So yeah, th- those are just like ways to be though. Those are, I don't know if those are like business oh, yeah. uh, wisdom. Right. Those are just ways to be, ways to be an entrepreneur, ways to lead. They're mindsets, right? Yeah, like mindsets, th- th- I think those yeah. are, they're good things that, you know, is, is especially when you start building a team and you, you know, problems do come up. How do you present them, handle them, discuss yeah. them, all that stuff. I mean, yeah. Cause I've seen some of the businesses and business owners that I've worked with that have the hardest times are usually the ones that like are afraid to discuss stuff or be vulnerable yep. and talk about challenges or they're, you know, they're, they're too prideful to discuss them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when shit hits, hits the fan, I'm not afraid to like, you know, talk about it. And I feel like that's gotten me through stuff quicker because I'm talking about it and then you're getting input that you wouldn't get otherwise if they thought everything was okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so I think that's a... You're building family, not, yeah. not co-workers, right? Yeah. Even like inside, outside, like even like with mentors, like with Scott and stuff, you know, it's like, you know, just I just lay it out, mm-hmm. you know, and it, you, you get way more value out of those conversations if you do lay it out versus yeah. not. It's the only way you can get better, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so, and I would say, I don't know if, if you're looking for like business wisdom, ways, ways to operate, mm-hmm. um, I you know, one thing I always encourage people is to not be afraid to move the boat. That's mm. a fishing analogy there. But okay. When you're fishing, um, oftentimes you can do better instead of just trying every bait in the spot that you're in. Maybe you've got 50 different types of bait in your tackle box. Yeah, you could stand there every day, all day, and try all the bait, but the fish just aren't there. They're not biting. Mm-hmm. You'd be better to move the boat. And it always feels like a big task to move the boat. It feels like, oh, we got to pull up the anchor. We got to put the chips down. We got to get the kids to, you know, untangle their poles. But the reality is it, it just takes a second or two to to like, all you got to do is say, Hey, we're moving the boat. And the kids kind of sit themselves down. The chips fall out of your hand. Mm -hmm. You know, your buddy pulls the anchor and you're moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you've heard that in my story a couple of times with like quizzer, Hey, let's build a quiz tool for teachers and trainers and then publishers start showing us what, oh, okay, let's go there, right? And with Volley, it does seem that we've been on the hunt for product market fit and that's because we've been on and we've pivoted a couple of times just because I know it's going to be easier to move the boat. It's going to be easier. um, Even though it feels as a company just like hard to move focus, it's going to be easier than just continuing to beat our head on this problem that doesn't seem to to work prevents that that founder's disease right you heard of that you know like like we get people that come they have an idea and they're so fixated on it and oh, they just yeah. know it's the answer you know and then we start developing and doing research and come up with ideas that maybe change it slightly and stuff like that and you know a lot of times there'll be that entrepreneur that just has a hard time accepting that and it's like no it has to be this way it yeah. has to be this way but, you know, it turns out they maybe haven't talked to enough users and don't know that it has to be that way. Or they get it to market and learn, you know, oh, well, no one wants it that way. Right. You know? <laughs> or, right. Or, so that's, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, Yeah, it's everyone thinks important. they're Steve Jobs, right? Just yeah. like they know what the future is, what's happening. Yeah. Right? And even with like, it's, it's like with software, it's, you know. Obviously, you can you can tweak things and change this part of yeah. it and upload it, you know, and then the new version's out and everybody gets it versus like a hard good, like you sell the hard good and you get the hard good and you can't really change it once it's mm-hmm. in their hands. But I do think it's important to still have that mindset where you sell V1 of it and then, you know, you got, you, you know, a few thousand people in their hands. They're going to give you feedback. You, you know, I, I think it's very important to tweak it between runs and as much as you can because... Mm-hmm that's how you're going to make it better and go to V1.2 and three and four, and then do a V2 that's wave amplified and stuff like that and figure out, you know, all those problems. So I think, yeah, it's incredibly important in business. It's hard to do though, you know, hard to do mindset wise. Like I think, yeah. And to do all the tweaks and all the moving parts and everything, Mm -hmm. but the people that do tweak like that and make things better, usually I see their businesses, and their customer satisfaction and stuff getting better and better because of it. Yep. It, and I think it just feels hard to do. And that that's the point. That's why mm-hmm. I use the don't be afraid to move the boat analogy. It's just, it isn't actually that hard to do. And mm-hmm. you, you're, you'll be kind of amazed once you just speak it into existence, like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going here. Mm-hmm. Everyone just kind of 
pivots with you. And and then everyone starts leaning this direction. And you're like, whoa, okay, now we have momentum that direction. And w- dude, what if we spent another month beating our head on the wall of this, you know, where we were, you know, it just, in hindsight, it, mm-hmm. it, it but before you make the call, it feels like a lot of friction. It feels yeah. like a lot of changes and now, oh, man, I have to get everyone involved and yeah, it's actually mm-hmm. only a couple of meetings and yeah. change the headline in your website and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. tell a couple of customers and you're, you're good. That's a good, those are some good field notes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> From a multi-founder. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. This is you great. Bet, dude. Yeah, th- I think this will uh, this will be a great episode. It's interesting hearing stories from multi-founders like yourself that yeah. go from one project to another to another versus a founder that maybe has done one project their whole career, you yeah. know, or, or in the middle of one project that they've been working on their this whole time is uh, always valuable right. and how one thing leads to the next. Yeah. And so on and so oh forth. man, I'm in, and I'm way more humble than I would have been, you know, in my maestro <laughs> days. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I got it. I got the oh, world yeah. figured out, man. Look at yeah. me. And now, you know, I've had my teeth kicked in here and there and it's like, ah. Uh, yeah. It's, not it's exactly okay. as easy as it looks. <laughs> <It's>, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks, man. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. There we go. Josh Little. Multi-founder, current project Volley, which is worth checking out. I even have a profile in there where you can purchase time with me to talk about your products. Very, very exciting when I get a, a request through on his platform to have a conversation about what products they're building and how I can help. But it's, it's just awesome to learn from someone that's a small town educator that has founded multiple companies all tied back to, like I said at the beginning, education and connection with people in a smarter way. I like his drive towards creating this type of quicker connection with Bali and so on and so forth. Some massive takeaways from Josh, one of which I agree with because I'm this, this is what I did when I built my first company, Klugonics, is start with a service company. I agree with that. One, it's like instant revenue. You connect directly with your customers. You know, it's it's very helpful because you could also get a lot of reoccurring business from providing that service. It's an ongoing service, great way to build up referrals and stuff like that. So it's an easy business to tap into, generate revenue quickly, and then, you know, start to grow, uh, you know, in an efficient manner, you know, versus going right into a product business, which takes more upfront capital. You know, it's it's definitely higher risk. Uh, it takes more time to get to market versus, you know, a service business. I was able to start mine by plugging a computer in and picking up the phone and just start dialing and finding new customers. So totally agree with that, especially if you're looking to dip your feet into entrepreneurship, service industry, service business, especially if it's like a B2B type service, great way to start. When building a, a business, a product, an idea, thinking through it, I like his approach, which is, you know, common for people building businesses, looking and, you know, doing research and digging in and getting an understanding of the need of a market or a niche or whatever, and not just building for the now, but also thinking ahead to what will be needed in the future. So you've got to be able to project yourself and be a few steps ahead, which is difficult to do. But if you're you know, thinking about a current idea or a product or, you know, a problem you're solving, if you are thinking about just the now, it is a good idea to be as, you know, thinking 
ahead so you could build that product as future proof as possible as you're building. So definitely a great way to look at what you're building in the process is to think ahead, look towards the future as much as you can and try to get as best of an understanding as what's to come so you can fine tune that product and be ahead of the curve. The other thing, of course, is is do what you say and build trust. You know, it's very important in business, especially with things moving fast and so on and so forth when you're building is, you know, staying true to your word is important, you know, and I've seen that where as soon as someone says they're going to do something and then they don't do something, it, it changes the perspective that you might have on that person. And I mean, sometimes obviously people get busy, things, you have to pivot and things change and whatnot, you know, but it's better in that scenario to be honest and upfront about why things change and, and why you went a different direction or were not able to deliver versus, you know, just not even showing up at all. So um, definitely agree with that. Another great point, which I totally agree with, and I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs find more success by doing this, but don't be afraid to move the boat. As Josh put it, you know, pivoting is good, especially if you see something that's not working early. As soon as you see or get a taste of something not working, then focus on pivoting. How are you going to pivot? What can you change? Or you know, maybe you're going one direction and then you see an opportunity that's much larger that quick pivots and resource shifts can solve that problem that is a way bigger opportunity. Keeping your mind open to pivoting early on and throughout the development process and the building process and the growing process, I think is super important and can prevent you from getting stuck in a place that you'll look back and realize you should have been out of that place a long time ago and you wasted a bunch of time being stuck in that that rut. So being open and pivoting is is just crucial and very important. So yeah, that's it, Josh Little. Great chat. I really appreciate the time with them. It's always good chatting with these entrepreneurs and it's like reconnecting with them at a deeper level. And I like how even after I've been having these conversations, the re- relationship continues to get deeper afterwards where you know, we're connecting more consistently and talking about new ideas or talking, continuing the conversation of the subject matter that happens in these, in these discussions, in these, these podcast episodes. So I'm really enjoying doing this and I really appreciate having guests like Josh Little. So thanks for listening and watching. Uh, And then also please reach out to us. We'd love to help you with your entrepreneurial journey. You know, we, we focus on consumer products and building those products in the hardware space. So if you're building something or know someone that's building something, reach out to us. We'd love to help. We, we really can help you with the design engineering, you know, prototyping, sourcing a proper manufacturing supplier, helping you manage your manufacturing at scale and helping you get it you know, wherever you need it to go to distribute to your customers. We, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs, but also we work with a lot of, you know, bigger, successful businesses and feel free to reach out. We'd love to help you out. Check us out on our website and all the social media platforms as Klugonics. Thanks for listening. See you next week. 